Welcome to our podcast. Have you read that book by John Ronson? A podcast about shame. 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 Hello. Hello. <laughs> this podcast is not sponsored by Squarespace. Hello and welcome to Have You Read That Book by John, John Ronson? A podcast with me, Amy Annette. And Lily Sanders. And this week... Robert Roland Smith. Thank Ooh. you. We really like people to say their own name. And their middle name, please. <laughs> no, you have to say that name because of the Cure Man. It's also my name I publish under, so... Yes. Mm. Yeah, but also because of the Cure Man as well. Yeah. When you were little, did the you Cure love Man. it as well because of Roland Man? No, I didn't like the association. Did you not? No. Because of the fact it was a rodent? Yeah. Right. Anything verminous. Mm. Not good to be if it was a little... Like if Peppa Pig was called Roland Pig. <laughs> you wouldn't be a pig either. No, hang on, I'm going to guess again. Oh, you're saying that the pig would be less successful if it was a rat? No, I'm not sure what I'm, <laughs> I'm saying. Would Robert like to be identified with a pig? <laughs> no. It's a No. <laughs> <laughs> podcast with Lou and Amy. That's nice. I liked it. So we are very excited today because we've got Robert Roland Smith on and can you tell us a little bit, because you do so much, Mm -hmm. you do so much, can Mm. you tell us some of it, all of it? Okay, so I was an academic for a long time in Oxford and I taught uh, philosophy and literature and I carry that on insofar as I still write books on philosophy and literature and psychoanalysis, which is my other thing. And then I left Oxford and I went into business yeah. and into a management consultancy. And I ran a consultancy business for a while. And then I stopped doing that and now I work independently. So I, I, kind of, I sort of think of my professional work as falling into three categories, basically. Mm-hmm. One is the consulting I do, business consulting, which is mainly with uh, senior management teams and boards. Um, boring. It's not boring. It's <laughs> Get quite to the psychoanalysis. <laughs> and uh, then I do. I'm only kidding. I write books, mm. mainly on philosophy, psychoanalysis, yes. literature, and I do a kind of psychoanalytic thing called constellations, yes. which I do with groups. Yes. And I do with individuals. That really hits on Lou's interest bone. Yes. Right. But but I, yeah, and also you gave a talk on shame, didn't you, the other week? I did give a talk on shame. Cool. <laughs> so, no, what were you going to say? Sorry, Amy. Oh, I, say, I find the senior management thing quite interesting. Yeah, I know. I was being jovial. No, no, but I wasn't trying to... I'm not trying to patch things up. I, just, <laughs> I, I honestly do think how sort of inter- how interesting it is that it's the big companies with all the money who are the people who are most sort of at the forefront of this mm. interest how you make your workforce like optimum 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 optimize your workforce I want to optimize my workshop so they're finely tuned to mm. do all the best work yeah and the way that I do that is by like helping them understand like psychoanalysis like it's a really interesting thing that it's bankers and management consultants who are getting oh, improv go- techniques who are getting oh. all this stuff and us schlubs yeah. Just have to figure it out. So I hang think. on. So when you go into the when you do management consultancy, I was being ignorant actually, but I don't even know what you do for them. So when you go in, what do you do for them? Um, well, it's usually there's some kind of problem, mm. like they are. So I'll give an, a few examples. So I'm working quite a lot with uh, mental two mental health organisations. So mm. I work with the boards of both of them. Mm. One was in special measures. The other was in serious crisis because there's been lots of deaths oh sugar in the, work, in the actual workplace in their clients suicides yeah. and, oh. and you know that comes to public attention 
and the organisation is then sort of in crisis. It's in the mm. media. There's, you know, politicians are all over it, and so on. Mm. So the work, I mean, in those cases, is it's kind of sort of how to help them come out of crisis, basically. Right. Well, guess who feels bad for goofing off? <laughs> well, no, and also, I'm, I'm, it's thing I think it's revealed my lefty liberal bias that whenever I hear management consultant, I assume it's a Banks. man who works in a bank. Yeah, same. So when you no, said it, all I'm picturing... Completely different. In well, my mind, it's yeah, always bankers. that's what we're saying. Really? We have got... like So management consultant, see, management consultant, you're picturing a load of grey suits and you're pitching banks and then you say it's some like charity and we're like oh god wow we're the bad guys yeah we're the bad guys oh you see you you should be ashamed of yourself you should actually be ashamed of yourself i just realized we haven't let you take your coat off that's okay i'm fine okay good i don't want you to feel like we've strung-armed you into the (sighs) interviews so quickly (laughs) if you want to take your coat off you can take one layer off one layer off one arm but you have to do it to welcome to strip (laughs) (laughs) reveal something about yourself keep your clothes on um so constellations that's very interesting as well Mm -hmm. and i know you have lots of questions Mm. ask them (laughs) please ask them them well first of all Let's, well, I know what it is, because mm. I'm not a dumbass, but why don't you explain for the dumbasses at home? Okay, so constellations is a strange word, because it's got nothing whatsoever to do with astronomy. Mm. Right. It's kind of a, what they call in French, a faux ami, a kind of false friend, mm. in terms of translation, because the it comes from a German word, which is familienausstellen, which means family setup, where you're literally, you're setting up a family in the sense of, um, getting other people to represent people in a family system. It's not mm. a role play, but oh, you are kind of distributing people in space in order to look at the dynamic that's going on there. Mm. It actually has its roots in, strangely enough, in um, African uh, kind of ancestor worship. The idea was that... Uh, you know, what? Ancestor worship. Right. So if you want to pay respect to your forebears, yeah. you know, dead grandfather and, mm. you know... Mm great-grandfather going back generations and so on what they would do is um, get people living people in the tribe in the village to sort of stand up and represent them you know I'm the grandfather I'm the great-grandfather I'm the deceased Mm. great-great-grandmother and uh, I mean it's an extraordinary process if you've never done it because what happens is that um, as soon as you're put in that position of representing in this case the dead you actually begin to pick up what it was like for them. So it's a kind of channeling, basically. Those Whoa! Channel it. Wow. So the origins of the constellations are in that kind of ancestor worship, but it was then reinterpreted in the 20th century by this man called Bert Hellinger, who's a mm. German... Well, he was a, a mission, Christian missionary to the Zulu mm. in Africa. Wow. And he noticed... I don't know exactly how it went. This is my extrapolation. But he kind of saw this ritual mm. and you know in turn realize the kind of possible psychotherapeutic benefits from it because if you can set up somebody's family mm. having people represent it yeah you can then look at the dynamic what's going on not just the dead but the living how is that different to i'm sure it's very different to the empty chair oh yeah, yeah it's a bit it's it's a bit similar but the <coughs> empty chair thing is just much less powerful right. basically so this is quite this does what this has got good results has it yeah i mean it for me i think mm. it's incredibly powerful i mean compare i mean i love 
things like psychoanalysis. I'm very interested in that. I was in psychoanalysis for years. Yeah. You know, I'm involved so, in that world. I don't really understand how it works. So, so No, nobody um, does. Well, for example, um, it's often the case that symptoms borne by children in this generation mm. are displaced representations of somebody in an earlier right. generation. So I'll give you an example. So I had one client who had kind of night terrors, night sweats, you know, wake up in bed screaming, mm. whatever. And, you know, when asked to describe it, he said, actually, the feeling is that I am, I've been thrown into cold water and I'm drowning in cold water. Wow. Okay. Pretty horrible in and of itself. Yeah. So in the constellation process where you, uh, you kind of bring in members of his family and going back, the person who was representing his great uncle and the client didn't know about this. Yeah. Um, said that he had he was a submariner who had drowned off the waters of Gdansk in the Second World War. How so? The person representing the uncle knew that. Yeah. So he had this information. How yeah. did he have the information? Yeah. Well, nobody knows exactly how it works. So there's lots of different theories. So about how is it not spiritual if it, if you're tapping into something like it's it's because it, psychoanalysis? I would say like. It, is very sort of regulated from I would say the Western approach mm-hmm. um, um, based it more in science and then this seems a bit like woo-woo which I'm into <laughs> but you know it seems like you're tapping into something else you are I mean I maybe it's spiritual depends on your definition of that word I hate the word spirit oh, it's such yes. an awful word it doesn't but yeah so but it's, a, well, it's more like I, I mean there's a branch of psychoanalysis like Jungian psychoanalysis yeah. is much more interested in that because the, the Freudian concept of uh, the psyche is that it is an individual, like you have your psyche, you have your psyche. Mm. And although it's influenced by other things, it's essentially a discrete unit, you know, yeah. and, the, and the unit of treatment in psychoanalysis is this, the individual mm. in Freudian psychoanalysis yeah. and most of the therapies which have kind of stemmed from that. But in Jungian analysis, there's a kind of collective, un- he talks about the collective unconscious. Mm you know, in which we're already connected with mm, one another mm. and it's just a question of how open we are to that, oh, yeah. you know, and whether we can pick it up. And for Jung, you know, we pick it up through dreams and things like that. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's one way of explaining, mm. you know, constellations. There are kind of more scientific explanations. Some people say it's to do with the way mirror neurons work, which I really don't understand, but it's... Mm. Um, and there are other theories about the field. Um, oh. There are... Do you know Rupert Sheldrake? The... Anyway, he's a sort of kind of alternative and quite provocative uh, biologist mm. who talks about morphic resonance. This isn't an example he uses, but how do you know starlings know how to kind of all murmuration? Yeah, well, how does a murmuration of starling, starlings trying to say happen? something nowadays? <laughs> yeah. like it. It's murmuration. <laughs> Such a good word. Yeah, I love it. So how does that happen? You know, because they're not obviously communicating with one another. Mm. So the, but, and yet, as a group, there seems to be a kind of an aesthetic ordering, social aesthetic, socio-aesthetic ordering mm. process that mm-hmm. goes on at a kind of non-cognitive level where they can communicate with one another. How do we know to suck on the teat? You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, I do know what you mean, but you said that so seriously. <laughs> <laughs> shame. Uh, um, and what was the talk that you did on shame? So shame's a bit connected to this, because... Mm. Um, you know, we think of shame as uh, kind of personal moral 
fault. You know, I've done something of which I'm ashamed. Mm. Interestingly, the words shameful and shameless are kind of cognate, even though they're opposite. So we say, mm. you know, you've done something shameful, mm. and that how shameless of you. You know, they're op- yeah, technically yeah. the opposites, mm. but they kind of have the same. What's shameful is feeling no shame for the shameful thing that you've done. Yeah. You know, you should oh, be yeah. ashamed of feeling no shame. Yeah, for the being shameless thing. is not necessarily, it, it can be a pejorative yeah. that you apply to someone when you think, when you're basically saying, yeah. I would have felt shame. Yeah. Or you should feel shame. I do find it really funny when people, funny is not the right word, interesting how people, a lot of shame is other people saying, why didn't you feel shame? A lot of conversation around exactly. shame. Yeah. Isn't, often isn't, I felt shame about this because that's quite a personal thing. Yeah. Often it's like, she's not ashamed, is she? What, she's not what, backwards and coming we, forwards. Yeah, that why sort do of stuff. we want to put shame on other people to it? To, to understand ourselves. your own yeah. our feelings, maybe? Well, it's partly a form of kind of social moderation. You're saying you know, these are the rules that apply here, and it's shameful if you don't adhere to those. Yeah. But I, I mean, for me, it's more about I think shame. The experience of shame is the anticipation of not belonging or of being excluded. Mm. So I feel. So if you think about, you know, you send a child to the naughty step. Yeah. Mm. Well, I remember. Yeah. I remember the other day I was sent in my private prep school. Yeah. You know, I was caught cheating. You know, it was during an exam. I was like seven years old. Yeah. I was trying to look at, you know, it's maths. I was rubbish yeah, at maths. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at Jackson's paper. Yeah. The teachers, you know, Smith, yeah. you know, going to the headmaster study. Yeah. And the feeling I had as I kind of walked up the stairs was, you know, apart from the dread of getting the cane or oh the slipper, God. was this feeling of, I've been sent out of the room. Yeah. You know, it's a feeling of exclusion. Yes. And the shame is maybe my belonging to this group is now being jeopardised. And actually the panic that comes with shame, I think has its source in that. You know, it's the... Isn't it? It is to do with being excluded. Like if you think of Monica Lewinsky and all the other things, it's like... Yeah, you've been cast out of society in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Because having our belonging threatened, I think is probably the most difficult thing for us. Yeah, how am I... Because you were talking about this the other day because we were talking about maybe shame being a useful thing and you were quick to say shame it's is not, never I don't useful. think it's useful. So I think because Brené Brown talks about like embarrassment being mm. a thing you did and you're embarrassed about it and that can be useful because it's like, okay, then I'm going to moderate my behaviour and, and not upset people or not upset myself. Whereas shame is internalised and it's like, I'm a bad person, where that can't be good because you're going around thinking you're impure or wrong in some way, right. which has a knock-on effect in, you know, like that causes you to behave in an unkind way to yourself and others. Kind so of I guess guilt in that instance would be alongside embarrassment, so if embarrassment and guilt I think is that guilt, right? is an, a, a guilt is a wasted emotion as well, like it depends if you, so guilt is good at the time and then you're like okay I don't, I'm not gonna you know like get off with someone with a girlfriend or whatever it is, then again moderate your own behaviour so you feel like you're being integrity, you have integrity. But isn't guilt the one thing I would say guilt is more useful than embarrassment. Yeah. Well, guilt is useful because it's what you need to take action. Yeah. Like yeah. if you leave a job or something, you know, guilt is the thing which is going to get you over the threshold. Yeah. You know, so guilt, we think of guilt as bad, but actually it's a kind of, it's a form of agency. Mm. It's like you move from one relationship to another, you feel guilty about it, but that guilt is a sign that you are moving from one system to right. another. And in that sense, if you just want to remain innocent all your life, Yeah. You'll never get. You'll never do anything. You'll never get anywhere. Yeah. You know, the word guilt comes from a, a I think it's Anglo-Saxon. Yeah, which means to be in debt, and it, 
it's connected to the word pay. To oh, that is Yeah, so you feel guilty because in a sense you've got a debt. You've put yourself in debt. Right. And we tend to think of it as moral debt, but mm. I don't necessarily hold with that. But the feeling of guilt is one of some sort of emotional or moral debt that needs to be repaid in some way, which is also excluding because when you're in a position of debt, you're sort of outside of the economy in some way. You know, as we, when we think of people who have debt mm. and the way it's kind of that, uh, that sort of socialised is to think of those people as somehow not quite proper citizens as everybody else, yeah. you know. But that's terrifyingly, like, so, like, talking about sort of, like, things that you map things across different things. Emotionally, yeah. we exclude people who we think are, I guess, debtors to our social norm. But then we also, like, financially exclude people who we think are not mm. working hard enough to pay back their physical financial debts. Exactly. So... So you can see that, like in the history of how we understand, like the welfare state, yeah. you also expand your definition of what is yeah. a good person or a bad person. Exactly, and a bad person is the person in debt. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You know, we were talking about banks earlier. When you use the word debt in that kind of context, I mean, I don't yes. have many banking clients, but occasionally I do. Mm. And of course, debt is just a it's just a, a device. It's a tool. You know, how are you going to finance this thing? Debt, equity, mm. something else. It's just. A fun, it's just a business function mm -hmm. we'll borrow the money in order to like you know we were at Gales earlier mm. and I think you made a comment oh, it can't be that hard to grow a business like that yeah well, well in a sense it isn't because all no. you're really doing is uh, borrowing money from the banks in order to fund the expansion of the chain mm -hmm. right is that difficult it's not really difficult mm. but you've got to have the credibility in the first place to be indebted to a and bank and they managed with two staff and 30 customers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gales we, we, this podcast is hopefully sponsored by, by Gales because <laughs> <laughs> we go in there every night, every day, every for day. the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you're, you're kind of actually on the subject of being in debt. There's a brilliant. I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently. Uh, Nietzsche, you know, the German mm. philosopher, says, uh, "Never let yourself be in the position of being of receiving a gift, because to receive a gift is to be in debt." And to be in debt is to be inferior to the person who's given the gift. Oh, my God. So he says, uh, you must always avenge the gift. The first thing you do, avenge the gift. What does that mean? You get another gift? Yeah. So, you know, you either repay it with interest or you find a way of That's returning. That's so depressing. Interesting. That's so depressing. But it's kind of true. But I love gifts. No, no, no. Nietzsche. Okay. Nietzsche, so, I love gifts, please. You like receiving gifts or you like giving gifts? I like giving gifts. Ooh. Oh, reveal. Big reveal. So a lot of people I work with who are more givers than takers have issues with real proximity to other people because mm -hmm. it can be a distancing technique. Yeah. I'm not saying it is for you. No, no, no. But I, I find it interesting that I, I can receive gifts. Don't worry, guys. Please do send me your things. Yeah. But I do, I did for a long time find it hard, I think, because I imbued so much stuff into what I was giving people. Like, I spent a long time getting the perfect thing, the exact thing. She's never given me a gift. Yeah. That's because I respect you. <laughs> um, but then I do think that when I would get it back, not that I was, like, Veruca Salt in Charlie's Rock Factory, I didn't yeah. think it was, like, good enough, but I definitely, I sort of felt a kind of an emotional weirdness about getting gifts. Yeah. If it was... If it wasn't perfect, like, that sounds so bad. No, but not getting it. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. not because the gift wasn't. I because what I then I what I learned to do yeah. was understand how the gift came to me was perfect. You know, the instinct to give the gift was good. Yeah, and what the person thought they were giving me was in their mind a perfect gift for me. Therefore, 
I could take it with the good way. I, I, I think the I instinct think to give is always good. Well, I think I'm talking about like big birthdays. Right. And I'm not talking about like constant to and throwing of money. Because in a sense, that's not giving or taking. It's just a ritual. It's like, yeah, we're get, yeah. I'm turning up at your birthday party. I've got your card and a present. Or I'm going for dinner. I bring a bottle of wine. I mean, I know those are gifts, technically speaking. But I think in a certain sense, they're just, that's just protocol. But I guess I, some people do see it as protocol. But I think I see it as an opportunity to like, almost like a sort of hug or a tap on the shoulder that says so you invest quite a lot of meaning good job well done mm. here's your bottle of wine for this or for Lou here's a bucket of I wanted to give her flowers for her Soho run that I didn't go see Aww. but you didn't but I didn't because <laughs> I respect her <laughs> but I used to have That's a problem yeah. I used to have a problem with, with receiving and then I read in loads of books actually if you because I always did feel guilty about receiving anything and like oh no and then I then I read in a few different places that actually one you're denying that person to give and people like to give and two it's kind of blocking things from the universe mm. because you're saying like oh you just keep saying no to stuff and then you get like when I didn't go out for ages kept saying no because I was a bit of a workaholic and then stop getting invited to places I think it's the same with the things. right 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 of course the hard thing really in any relationship personal or business or whatever mm. is actually getting the balance of give and take because mm. people have preferences either way generally speaking mm. and both ways you know people are trying to maintain some sort of position vis-a-vis the other person and actually to be properly relational with someone is to be vul- you know is to have the vulnerability of receiving because yeah. it does make you vulnerable to receive do you what? and so why is it particularly interesting to you at the moment that that has come to your attention i guess a lot of the people i work with are in so in these constellations group, mm. you know, not everybody, but, you know, a, a very common theme mm. is people will turn up saying they've got a problem with their relationship in some way, right. you know, their partner in mm, some way. Mm, mm. And very often, not always, but often, it, there is some uh, disequilibrium in the give and take, you mm. know, whether it's sex, money, how much work they do in the house, whether one looks after the kids or but not. that's the languages of love, which Ashton keeps saying about. Have you read the languages of love? I know about it. I haven't read it. Okay, so everyone has got... Has anyone actually read it, though? We've all read it. <laughs> We've all <laughs> no, read it. It's the Wikipedia page. No, I touch, have. gifts, yes, words. Yes, so we're all programmed in different yeah. ways. So, like, some people like affection more. Some people like validation yeah. through affirmations and words and others' presence, others' time. So so if your husband is really into present giving, but you're like, no, show me through time. Like, cancel yeah. your meetings or whatever. Jennifer Lopez, money don't... Love, my love don't cost a thing. Thank you, Jennifer Thank you. Lopez. J-Lo. J-Lo, really talking about the five love, <laughs> love languages earlier. Shame, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so tell us about the talk on shame, who it was to what it was about, the highlights. Highlights and lowlights. Mm. So it's part of my, uh, this teaching thing I do for mm. people learning how to do constellations. A lot of it was about belonging. Shame mm. is a factor of, or the fear of not belonging. So it's a kind of, uh, it's a kind of socially moderating function as opposed to a moral function. And I think that's, for me, that's one of the most interesting things about that work. It's completely amoral. So words like good and bad really have no value yes. in that. And yet the notion of shame has been so... I'm not against religion at all. Yeah. But shame has been so appropriated, particularly through Christianity, mm. you know, and uh, kind of transposed into this sort of moral register and played out in the kind of Garden of Eden story. I and mean, that's the original shame story. Mm. In fact, you know, the word in German, I understand, for pubic hair is mm. shame hair. Do you know that? <gasps> oh. That's a great 
great, but it's horrible. In yeah. that instance, I'm like, get it off then. Mm. And I, I always want to say, keep get, it on normally. Mm. Get it waxed. Yeah, get your shame waxed off, ladies. Yeah. Oh, and gentlemen. Because it's a sign of sexual congress between humans, you know. But that you're now of age to have sexual congress, you have pubic hair. But I don't. Well, well, like, well going back to the Garden of Eden story, it's like, Right, you right, know, right. Oh, the covering. Exactly. Conversations with God, that great book that I haven't read, but I've <laughs> listened to an audio thing about that, Conversations with God, they would say that sin and sin, the stuff that here has been, it, we appropriated that message on it, and we appropriated all the shame onto it, and that's not what was meant by Jesus when he was knocking about. No, I mean, I think it's, you know, without being too academic about it, mm. it's really when Augustine starts reading St. Paul, you know, that, you know, the sin thing comes in, right. you know, and the kind of abhorrence of sexuality and all of that. But in the first 400 years of mm. Christianity, you know, that, that, that discourse of sin wasn't really there. And in fact, in the New Testament, I don't think Jesus Christ talks about sin particularly. No. Interesting, he does shame a lot of people. Does he? Yeah, you know, shaming the rich, mm. you know, uh. shaming the money lenders, shaming people who are inauthentic, essentially. Right, inauthentic. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and he's saying that's what he's, you know, Christian, but it's kind of interesting from a shame point of view. Mm, mm, mm. He's saying, you know, kind of you should be ashamed of yourself because you are self-indulgent, rich, you're not altruistic enough. In mm. a way, they're quite basic messages. Right. Yeah. Mm. Eckhart Tolle talks about sin yeah. and says, it's not what, oh, I wish I could remember stuff. It'd be a better discussion. But Tolle's <laughs> like that. He, but he recasts it completely. Because yeah. although he's an extraordinary mystical guy, yeah. he is trying to kind of shake off that kind of that's what I'm talking about what's exactly. he saying well he's I'm sort of saying him. yeah he's saying you know there is this Christian discourse of sin you know right and wrong good and evil mm. but a lot of that is just that's just the kind of carapace put on you by mm. religious institutions infrastructure that's fine and you can be caught up in that or not caught up in that he's really talking about well he's a spiritual man and he's mm. talking about the openness to you know the divine or whatever you want mm. to call it in a way that enables you to be you know good well he he doesn't even believe in the labels of good and bad which i think no, there's doesn't. something great in that I in, agree. in, in uh, saying oh this is good and that is bad which we're obsessed with appropriating labels to it and actually the it's out of some of the stuff that we would label bad comes yeah. the most brilliant beautiful things so well, just don't even put a judgment on that even. Exactly. Guys, what, what a meeting of minds. What a brilliant podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Robert, really. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Is there anything, uh, this is our sort of plug moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lou just did her Soho show, so you can't see them, but you should have. Mm. Uh, what, about, what about you, Robert? Anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Anything I'd like to plug? Yes. Uh, well, I've got a book coming out next year. <gasps> oh, cool. Another one. A bit <laughs> early to be plugging it. but What's it on. about? It's an autobiography. Interesting. <gasps> Called confessions. Oh. And what are you confessing confession to? I'm confessioning quite a lot. Really? Uh, well, let's can we do this again in years killing. Time. <laughs> <laughs> There's no killing. I don't think you're allowed. To, well, that guy from Eggheads tried to do that. It did not work out well for him. What do you mean? CJ from Eggheads wrote an autobiography in which he alluded to perhaps killing a man in Holland. Then Seriously? he was arrested in Holland, taken to Holland, and then it turned out he was just being. Classic CJ from Eggheads and they've not killed anyone. You know, the police in Germany are now, certain police forces I have heard are now using constellations as a crime <gasps> technique. Like Minority Report. Are you joking with me? I'm not joking at all. I find that quite scary. Mm. They're using constellations. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Wow, guys, look up Constellations, look up Robert's website. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. He might be doing a talk near you soon. <laughs> Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.